everyone. My name's Karen England, and this is the Herbs Make the Difference podcast. Welcome. We're here with Mary Drolly, and this is the second part of a, our conversation. But if you missed the first part, Mary is a permaculturist. She's an armchair herbalist and a chef and a labyrinth builder. And we're actually going to... Um, go into the chef part of her experience. We went into the permaculturist in the last uh, segment, but in this segment, we're going to talk about roses as a food. And uh, I hope that you'll go back and listen to the first one if you haven't already, because roses are an herb. They're our favorite herb. And um, you'll learn about plant guilds and uh, growing roses uh, in order to eat them. But Mary, give uh, give everyone a little bit of an introduction in case they didn't hear the first. Well, um, like Karen said, I'm a certified permaculture designer. I'm a chef and I'm a labyrinth builder and coordinator. I've been doing um, cooking classes and cooking demonstrations since 2009. I became a certified permaculture designer in 2015 after being after studying it for 20 years. And I've been doing labyrinths since um, about 1995. It's so great. There's so much to talk about. Um, but we're going to concentrate on Rose's Ed food in this case. And uh, the first question is, when did your love of eating roses begin? It probably began when I was a teenager and I was on a trip back to Minnesota. Minnesota. My my father's from southern Minnesota, a little okay. outside of a little town called Austin. Okay. You might know of Austin, Minnesota. It's very famous for making um, spam <laughs> at the Hormel, and that is the correct way to say it. Meatpacking um, meatpacking facility. Okay. So that's so my family's time. My grandfather was actually one of the first investors in Hormel. So my grandfather was really good at growing roses. Now, if any of you know anything about uh, southern Minnesota, they do get that white stuff in the wintertime. Yeah, it's called snow, I hear. Yeah, and it gets pretty deep. (laughs) And so what my grandfather would do is he would, in the fall of the year, cut back his roses, take all the... um, everything and put it underneath the plant, all the the cuttings and leave it with the plant, bury it in a thick layer of straw, cover it over, and then the snow, uh, he would insulate them so they would make it through the winter. After, in the springtime, he would take everything off and the roses would be just fine and they'd start growing them again. Now, my grandfather didn't eat roses, Hmm. but I had rose petal tea when I was a teenager and I fell in love with it. And my grandfather grew them because my grandmother loved roses, and she was always have them in the ho- in the house. So that's when I really started. The first one was probably a, a cup of tea back when I was in my younger days. I started eating roses when I um, nineteen eighty nine. I discovered herbs, and it was subsequent to that, probably nineteen ninety that I discovered rose was an herb and I was in the nursery industry and every year we had thousands and thousands of roses, rose bushes come through our nursery facility, uh, hundreds and hundreds of varieties. And I was learning, it was fascinating to me that they didn't all taste the same. 
And so it was a huge learning thing. And I was the only one who was eating. I was the only one who who understood it was a edible. But anyway, that's when I I discovered it. So be, that said, there's a billion roses out there. Yes, there are. Which are the best to eat? So my theory is, number one, it has to be grown um, without any kind of herbicide, pesticide, um, fungicide has to be grown naturally, which is what our first podcast was all about. Mm-hmm. That's what I really emphasize. And preferably, you got to make sure that it doesn't have any of those chemicals because they'll go into your own system. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I do, I do the smell test. Mm-hmm. If a rose smells good, it's going to taste good. That's absolutely. Actually, that's a, something that I I teach as well, um, but not just with roses. Um, it, with lavender, with Many people buy a house and they have a plant, a lavender plant, and they say to me, I don't know what kind of lavender it is. Is it edible? And I can tell them if it's a um, tantalizing fragrance that you smells good to you, it will taste good to you. That flavor equals fragrance. Mm-hmm. Fragrance equals flavor. Yep. So, But in the roses, that's key. It is key. But the, sometimes when I'll, what I'll do is, if, even if it doesn't um, smell good, but it's beautiful, I know that it will hold up in the cooking process, like with cakes. Mm. And you can always add a little bit of rose water, mm-hmm. or you can do a cut between a super good tasting rose and then the really pretty rose so that you've got that wonderful dynamic in your in your dish. Really quickly to harken back to the first conversation that we had about growing roses in guilds. Um, if somebody is wanting to eat them, they should choose a fragrant rose that they like the fragrance of to plant in that guild so that they will like the taste of it when that blooms. Exactly. So there is some a little bit more to add to what we've said before if you're going to be planting a rose guild. <laughs> so when cooking with roses... Where does your inspiration for recipes come from? Cookbooks, online, self-created? comes from everywhere. <laughs> I find some things online. I find some things in books that my friend Karen England actually wrote. <laughs> I didn't write the whole book. Uh, she wrote a part of it. <laughs> I wrote a chapter. I'm a member of the International Herb Association. We are the group that picks the herb of the year each year. And I mention it often because I'm a, a believer and a proponent evangelistic proponent of the program. Its uh, educational purposes um, are to teach people about herbs that they've never heard of or to teach people about the herbal aspects of herbs that they do know. But anyway, yes, I do have... uh, I do have a chapter in the Rose Herb of the Year book from 2012, and you can get that on my website, and the information will be at the end of this podcast or uh, in the show notes of the podcast. But back to this, you get it from books. I get it from books. Sometimes I will um, go to a restaurant that will serve something, and I'll look at the ingredients on the that they list on the menu, and I'll make a mental note of it, and then I'll go home and I'll recreate it myself. Mm. I've done that quite a few times. Um, and then I do I do self create I my cake my cake recipe that I love to make is actually a cake batter from my grandmother that I put either roses into or I put lavender into it but mm-hmm. not the two together mm-hmm. one or the other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wonderful um, 
this isn't the next question, but is, have you have you put that in a book that we can get? Actually, uh, I just got done publishing my first book, which has nothing to do with cooking except for one recipe, and that's The Furry Tailed Adventures of Milady de Ferret. Okay. My next cook, my next book, My Travels with Bella, is going to be a book of travel, recipes, and philosophy. And, and you, that's Bella is actually that? my van, and I'm I'm still writing it. So as soon okay. as that's done, it'll be on. Um, I'll, I'll make it available. Okay, it, she's on Facebook. You'll find out more about that. But anyway, that's how you'll get notified of um, this exciting book with these recipes. What is your favorite roast dish to prepare? Is it that cake? Well, actually, no. I'm not a big eater of sweets. Okay. Um, I love that cake, but I don't eat that many sweets anymore. I just, I've, my mouth has become so savory. Mm -hmm. My absolute all-time favorite uh, recipe is when you take a nice little butter lettuce and break it up and then some cacao beans. Okay. You know, raw chocolate. Yeah. Cut it up with a knife so that they're in nice little tiny chunks. Don't ever buy cacao nibs because I did that once and I will never do it again. Pretty sure one of those nibs was not chocolate because oh. <laughs> certain things will make it through the process. Uh-huh. So make sure you you buy the whole bean. Okay. And cut you, it up yourself into nibs? Yourself. Is that what you're yep. doing? And it's it's as easy as cutting up almonds. Okay. You just take a good sharp chef's blade and just, you know, okay. go back and forth. Um, a good smelling rose or two. Or maybe three. <laughs> Cut into chiffonades, which is when you do the little ribbons. Mm-hmm. Put that on it. And then you can take a um, a vegetable peeler on a block of Asiago cheese and just peel some cheese into that salad. When I dress it, I use champagne vinegar, okay. grapeseed oil, a touch okay. of um, rose water in the dressing, and maybe a little salt and pepper too, but very little. Okay. And put that all together on a plate. Sounds it's divine. delicious. <laughs> okay. So that'll be in the book too yes, with that the will cake. Be in the book too. Okay. Whew. Okay. Um, really quickly, I thought about this for me. What is my favorite rose dish? And I made up, invented ambrosia salad. And it was delicious. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> okay, it's it's in the 2012 Herb of the Year book, Rose book, but it's ambrosia is uh, supposed to be funny. And it's A-M-B hyphen R-O-S-E hyphen I-A, ambrosia. And I'm pretty sure that's why I bought the book. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, I have to say that even though it was funny, and cute and all of that. It really is delicious. And I'll just, I'll tell everyone just so you don't have to buy the book for this. It's a handful of unsweetened dried coconut. It's a handful of dried tart cherries. It's two fragrant red or pink roses, the petals only. It's an eight ounce can of pineapple chunks in 100% juice. Separate the juice from the chunks in reserve a banana peeled and sliced, and a honey mandarin or similar citrus orange uh, peeled and sectioned. And it's just, you put all that in the bowl, and if you are um, a real ambrosia salad lover, you can get mini marshmallows. But... Marshmallows aren't made from marshmallow root anymore. They're made from gelatin. So I don't do that. But if you are an over-the-top 
herbal person and you make your own marshmallows, I'd add that to the salad. <laughs> but anyway, that, that that's my favorite. Okay, back on track. Tell us a little bit about other parts of the rose that are edible and how those parts are used. Well, I do have one question first, though. Yes. Because another thing that I really love to 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 drink is the rose tea shrub that I brought today. So oh, should we have, so we, let's have some. So should we have that now? It's beautiful color, by the way. I'm going to describe the bottle is a decorated bottle with um, pink and white and um, kind of rosy red flowers on the bottle and it's like a wine bottle and then the shrub in the that you can see clear is got a pink hue to it tell us what's in this so what i did is i brewed up some rose petal tea uh, about a quart of it was the rose petals dry yeah were they, they were dried the rose, they were dried rose petals and i got them from mountain rose up in sure, oregon sure uh it's a company that i get a lot of different herbs from i get a lot too yeah. we will i will make sure that there is a link to mountain rose in the show notes of this segment because they are in a um a wonderful resource for everyone everywhere. Yeah, and I get a lot of my herbs from them. I do too. Um, so I'm that I don't grow myself. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I got the rose petals from them, mm-hmm. and I probably put in that quart of water maybe four good tablespoons. Okay. Of rose petal in the water, and I let it steep overnight in the refrigerator. I like to cold brew my stuff. I know okay. Karen loves to hot brew, but I like cold brew. I hot brew for a, one major reason. I can get tea quickly into people with hot water and cold brew takes longer. Yeah. And if I'm giving a presentation and I'm serving things and I'm wanting to make a point and the point is I grew this and I brewed this and you're going to drink this, I can do it with a hot brew yep. quicker. You can do this with hot brew too, but you're going to need to let it come to uh, – it needs to be fully chilled or fully cool okay. before – because I put mine on my soda stream mm-hmm. and put some effervescence into it. Oh, yeah. I can, I've tasted it. It's delicious. And it does – okay, my shrubs that I've made, I don't have a soda stream, so they don't have effervescence. Mm-hmm. This is – very delicious, similar to kombucha, um, with that effervescence even more similar than mine. But kombucha is obviously a completely different deal. It's a process, but, yeah. yeah. And then what I did is I put a little agave syrup into it, probably two to three tablespoons. You can mm-hmm. always put in a little bit more if you want it. And um, about a quarter of a cup of uh, Bragg's um, apple cider vinegar with the mother in it because I'm real big on making sure that my apple cider has the mother in it, which is what makes the vinegar, turns the apple juice into vinegar. It's delicious. Thank you. So now getting back to what else is edible on a rose, the leaves are actually edible. Mm-hmm. And what you can do with the leaves is you get a, you know, some, some leaves and you get them all nice and cleaned off, mm-hmm. put them into the blender and whirl it with some water. Mm-hmm. And then you can put it into ice cube trays. Okay. And then you can freeze it and put it in your drink. So if you're drinking shrub and you want it a little colder, mm-hmm. you can always put that in and it won't dilute the flavor down that much. It'll still hold that wonderful flavor. So those are the only two things that I know. Of. Oh, except for rose hips. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people like to do what they call deadheading their roses. And they go out and they tr- they cut that big, beautiful green blob that grows at the end of your rose off and throw it away. 
Don't do that. People, that is the fruit <laughs> of the rose. Yeah, that's a rose hip. And a rose hip contains ounce for ounce, 10 times more vitamin C than an orange. And unlike an orange, you can grow roses pretty much anywhere. Well, not the Arctic Circle, but within reason. You can't grow, like my grandfather, he wouldn't been a, wouldn't have been able to grow the oranges back in Minnesota like he did the roses. That's right. So the Vikings carried rose hips on Viking voyages to uh, brew tea and to ward off scurvy. And the reason we know that is um, the Viking uh, captains were buried with their ships on land in Scandinavia. And you can be driving along if you're with your friends who know such things, but like I was. You can be driving along in this wonderful area and there's this random mound large mound. I thought it was a hill. No, my friend said, that's a Viking vessel that was buried with the captain on land. Well, excavate those, and what do they find? They find rose hips and all sorts of things that those ships were carrying to feed the sailors. And um, so this isn't a new thing to have rose hips. I... um. Not all rose hips taste the same, just True. like just like not all, all roses, roses smell the same. Yes, yeah. and so um, there are roses that are not really grown for the rose, but they're grown for the hip. Mm-hmm. But any hip of an edible rose is edible. And I do want to mention on your shrub that it's wonderful that you used apple cider vinegar mm-hmm. and not grape vinegar because... Apples and roses are related plants, so you can see the um, the relationship in a single rose flower, a single-petaled one, looks very much like an apple blossom. And so there's a, a wonderful companion planted sort of delicious drink. Yeah, so if you're going to do an apple tree guild, you can always put a rose into an apple tree guild and they'll pair well together and and support one another. Not only that, their fruit is the same, meaning that they have a core in them. Apple cores are not that delicious to eat and rose hip cores are not that delicious either. They actually have, the seeds have little hairs on them that give some people what they call itchy belly. Yes. So you always want to make sure. But they're not poisonous. They're not poisonous. Okay, we just want to repeat this. They they can be unpleasant and People can have a reaction, but not all people, but they're not poisonous. And so there is some literature out there that says that rose hips are poisonous, and that is untrue. So, um, but anyway, just uh, it is the fruit of the rose, and it is healthy and delicious and fresh or dried. Um, there's tons of uses and reasons to use it. Yeah, so what I did like last month at the Vista Farmers Market mm-hmm. was I made rose hip applesauce with pork chops. <sighs> even though I'm a vegetarian and I don't eat pork. <laughs> oh, take one for the team. Oh, no, 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 no. I I let my tasters do oh. it. <laughs> no, but I um I you take apples and I I don't bother peeling them. I just use the peel and all. Uh-huh. A handful of um so you, you you grill up the pork chops. Okay. Set those aside, uh-huh. and in the drippings, you put a little bit, little bit of water, not much, just a little bit. Put the apple slices in there. Mm-hmm. Put the rose hips in there. A touch of honey and a little bit of cinnamon in it. Cinnamon in. Cinnamon in it. Cinnamon in. 
That's my childhood coming out, coming out of me. Um, and then simmer until the the roses are, excuse me, until the um, apples are of your choosing. Some people like them fully mushy. Mm. We liked them chunked. And I've been doing applesauce since I was a kid. Okay. Making applesauce and pork chops together since I was. Uh, pork chops and applesauce. Yeah. I literally. <laughs> That's from a that. movie, isn't it? I have no idea. I think it's from a movie. Um, if, if people uh, can send me an email. <laughs> on my blog and uh, tell me what movie it was from but my husband used every any time we had pork chops my husband would sit down and he'd go pork chops and applesauce <laughs> so um we want to wrap up the food aspect of the rose before before we sign off, um, if somebody could grow um, any rose they wanted, we don't know where you are, people listening, so you might not be able to gr- grow all roses in your climate. But if somebody could grow any rose and they could only grow one and they wanted to eat it, do you have a rose that you would recommend? I'd probably do a sterling silver because I love purple roses. Okay. And I'm assuming that the you like that fragrance and flavor of the sterling rose. Angel Charm is another one that's really kind of nice. Another uh, purple rose. Oh, yeah. I'd, I think that's what it's called. Okay. I know sterling silver. I don't know Angel Charm, but I believe uh-huh. you in that. Um, I want to say that there is a rose that we had tea. We had a rose tea from Fresh Roses earlier before we got started while we were kind of going over what we were going to do to kind of get us in the rosy mood. And I had a sentimental rose, and it is scent as in S-C-E-N-T, mental rose. Um, And it is beautiful. It is fragrant. It's prolific. It blooms four times a year um uh, i can't uh eat enough of it and it has a lot so i would highly recommend sentimental if you could only have one rose and it would grow in your area so anything else before we wrap up this segment and and move on i think we've um, pretty much i think coming up up roses yes everything's coming up people are going to go out and want to eat their roses, and I hope that they can and that they haven't used uh, pesticides or anything. Please do not eat roses from your neighbor's yard because you don't, they don't even know what their gardener has used. Grow your own roses. Don't get them from a city park. Don't, um, it's really, it's an epidemic of a thing called systemic fertilizers and the systemic is the fungicide and the herbicide in the fertilizer that is at every uh, big box store um, and you cannot eat roses that have used that kind of treatment and it's in everybody's garage I've ever been in so um, grow your own grow it organically and um, don't go foraging roses there are other things you could probably forage for, but not for, for roses. All right. How can people find you? 
So I'm I have uh, four pages on Facebook. Okay. I'm developing my web my website right now and uh, and my copious amounts of spare time. <laughs> so one of my um, uh, I have one of my Facebook pages is Cooking with Clips. That's C O O K I N space W I T H Clips K L I B S. That's my nickname. And that's why I named my business Cooking with Clibs. Okay. And then I also have one that's called the Dancing Raven Ranch and Retreat Center. That's my permaculture um, Facebook page. Okay. And I have the Wonderful Labyrinth Walkers. And that's Wander, W-A-N-D-E-R hyphen F-U-L-L. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so I can be found at edgehillherbfarm.blog. And I'm going to be putting in the show notes the information on the Vista Farmers Market and on the Mountain Rose Herb Company and Mary's Facebook pages. So you can find it there if you didn't catch it in this. This has been great. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, We're going to actually come back and do another uh, segment, but for now, this is Karen England and Mary Crowley. Yes, and this is Herbs Make the Difference. Till next time, bye bye.